I can remember my first barber being someone who gave me support and accountability. I was sitting in the chair after school and get a shape up, but also to feel that I was cared for, loved, and given the world behind having that factor of trust and connection. And I just want someone to feel what I felt as a child going into the barbershop and salon every day after school when I got out of school. And that it was the village, what we call it. There were even the customers that would come to the stylists and the barbers there. They were like distant family members. Make sure that you stay in school and ensuring that you can be someone who will be a good person and just someone that do well in life and in career. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Lorenzo Lewis, the founder of The Confess Project. Born in jail to an incarcerated mother, Lorenzo struggled with depression, anxiety, and anger throughout his youth to the point of being at risk for re-entering the system. From this, Lorenzo grew the Confess Project, an initiative that confronts the stigma around mental health for men of color. Lorenzo's life story and his life's work give him a unique perspective on behavioral health and the social science issues surrounding the black male identity. The Confess Project is an initiative that empowers barbers to become mental health advocates for men of color. And Lorenzo helps you confess to your issues to begin to build a better process of living. Since 2016, the Confess Project has reached over 30,000 individuals in 13 cities, heavily focused in the southern and midwest regions of the United States. The Confess Project is partnering with Gillette to reach 1 million individuals across the entire nation. Lorenzo has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, on ABC News, CNN, NBC, The Kelly Clarkson Show, and many, many more. Listen in for some great takeaways on Lorenzo's interesting approach to mental health and the impact he's had on people, his community, and the world. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the distinct pleasure of being with Lorenzo Lewis, the founder of the Confess Project. Thanks for joining us today, Lorenzo. Absolutely. It's a mere pleasure. I'm really excited to be a part of this, Larry. Thank you and uh, Midland Financial for the opportunity. Thank you so much. So listen, I want people to understand a little bit about who you are and what the Confess Project is all about. But before we jump into that, okay, Tell us about your path. What led you up to founding the Confess Project? What were you doing before then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Confess Project was prior to this, I was working in behavior health for about a decade in the behavior health and mental health landscape and facilities across Arkansas with children from five as adults to old as 55. Prior to that, I had a, I like to say I had a, a very unique experience around incarceration and street and gang life being a part of different activities growing up as a young black youth here in, in urban Arkansas, uh, rural Arkansas, rather, and, and being a part of uh, some of the societal issues that a lot of young black men face. 
drugs to gang involvement to just the socio issues that that really can turn very um, turbulent for a lot of young black men. You know, in addition to that, I grew up in my aunt's beauty salon, you know, and, and so that was a lot of how my connection was to barbershops. And so understanding that that piece was a huge part of how I was able to connect the personal journey of what I've talked about, but also the professional journey of what the Confess Project does. And so that's how we've gotten to this place where we're doing the work that we're doing. But it definitely was a combination of personal and professional experience coming together. So can you give our listeners and tell them a little bit about what is the Confess Project and what are you trying to accomplish I mean, you hinted at it a little bit with regard to the barber shops and whatnot, but can you give our listeners a true understanding of what the Confess Project is and what it's all about? Absolutely. The Confess Project is a national grassroots movement. We've been coined as America's first mental health barbershop movement. In fact, we're taking barbershops and turning them into cultural assets of being a mental health complex, training barbers to be advocates and cultural assets, taking the cultural leadership they have in the community. We're training them on active listening, positive communication, stigma reduction, validation. These are just a few key things in which we're training them on, in fact, of how to get to the next side of their journeys and their communities. And so the Confess Project is investing in these barbers year round. In addition to that, we do offer training and support for frontline leaders, such as educators, law enforcement. In addition to that as well, we are also offering supportive services for barbers and their communities, their families through employment and transportation, increasing public health access. So at the epicenter is using those barbershops. And we've now become a such a compound effect of providing wraparound training and educational support to the leaders, the communities that support around these black communities of men and their families. That's amazing. So am I understanding this correctly? So I go to a barber shop that works with the Confess Project or that's been trained by the Confess Project. I go there for a haircut and I'm getting some kind of mental health advice or they're looking out for certain things. How does that work? What do I expect as a customer of that barber shop? Absolutely. So the barber and the client relationship has always been sacred, and I believe it's continuing. It's an intimate relationship. So we're, we're allowing that barber to invest with that client in that intimate relationship as a client to barber. But in addition, that barber is now being trained, understanding that that client may hit some pitfalls and may hit some areas in their life in which they may need more support. So that barber is in a position to be an advocate and not be an expert. But understanding that barber also has been trained and given the tools to help connect clients to mental health professionals, the suicide prevention crisis hotline. These are just very meaningful informational tools in which will change the trajectory of their clients in their life. And I think that's a significant pathway of being an advocate, you know. And so I think in the best way to understand is they're a better peer support and maybe seen as a mentor. And I think that's where it's becoming um, an impact in how barbers are being able to show up for their clients in their everyday lives. So this is really a real-life example of you taking a situation where people might have issues or concerns and rather – forming or making the onus on them to reach out and look for help, you basically brought the help to an area or a location where these people go to all the time, no matter Absolutely. what, and give them those resources. Yeah, yeah. We've definitely been able to take advantage of the opportunity and the segue 
of the community in a way that I think hasn't never been done, but needed to be done with well overdue and knowing that the support and mental health support for communities of color are well overdue. And so it goes back in historical context. You know, barbershops were key and front line of the civil rights era. Barbershops were key and front line of generational wealth in black communities, understanding that barbershops were one of the first institutions that black men and families could own and pass down through their families. And so significantly knowing that the economic independence and how the freedom of mental health and the liberation with that is a tremendous outcome to the quality of life of black Americans across the country. And so I think that it's a phenom in a way that I think we solving the mental health understanding and well-being and increasing that. We're also understanding that this is a epicenter uh, for economic independence, for health and wellness, for social connections and building trust in the community. Yeah. Do you think that this is this whole how you have the structure of your organization and who you cater to? Is this unique to, as you say, people of color in the black community or this is something that can work in other populations as well? Well, right now, our core focus is looking at young black American men and boys between the ages of six and thirty five, those who are descendants of slavery. And beyond that, that is the core audience. We're also supporting their families, their mothers, their sisters, their grandmothers, because they are also a part of their lifespan and their day to day life as well. In the future, we are looking to support our Latino and other communities of the African diaspora. And beyond this, in the next few years, we're looking to also expand this into the domestic violence and abuse arena, uh, an industry, uh, individuals who are working on the front line with HIV and AIDS, because this barber's training is going to be a, a component that can really translate into other areas and peer support areas. And so it's, it's kind of like the CPR, right? We're, we're working on our barber's curriculum where it become a licensed and evidence-based initiative. We're working on now funding that will allow us to test and license that curriculum to doing just what I've listed and to working in other industries and doing a, a greater good up to the communities. This is amazing work. And I want to know, so what's the genesis? Why is mental health so important to you? Because obviously that's what you're trying to fix and address here, or not necessarily fix, but address and make sure people get the right resources and help. Why is mental health so important to you? Yeah, absolutely, Larry. You know, mental health is really important to myself because I've been currently diagnosed with depression. I know what it feels like to be a um, a patient. You know, I was also in a behavioral health facility at the age of 10. Shortly after my father passed, I have a family history and support of family members who've been diagnosed with bipolar and struggle from substance abuse and incarceration. I've also been incarcerated. I know what recovery looks like. I also know what it looks like to be a part of the population. And then now I'm, you know, helping the population, right? And we have designed a system for black men and families to be a part of. And so understanding my recovery journey is still in motion. Currently, so I'm still seeking therapy and currently continuing to walk on my healing journey. I think that in itself really reveals why I think it's really important for people around me to do the same. 
because in fact the world that we live in and just quite frankly the trauma that's been faced by black americans is continuous in an effort where we have to seek healing and support and so i think that's where where and why i'm concerned and why i'm doing the work mm-hmm. that i do because it's a continuous effort of trauma that takes place here in america where in fact we have to have a system like the confess project to be available and so I think that we've done significant impact to date. We've trained 500 barbers in 31 cities. 90% of those barbers stated that they'd rather receive mental health therapy if it was in a barbershop rather than going to a brick and mortar or clinic. 50% of those same barbers have been more better educated after the training than they were before of mental health support and education. These are just a few things to kind of wheel out. And in our recent day work with Harvard University, now understand that barbers have been deemed to be mental health and suicide prevention gatekeepers can also be someone who can help to reach out to family members, but also the disarming of firearms and, and understanding that how firearms play such a huge role. And so barbers being able to be the babysitting and transition factor and ensuring that individuals won't harm themselves. And so because they have such deep ties with communities, family members, some of these clients are coming to barbers years and years over time. And so, in fact, they can stop the act of someone wanting to take their life by suicide. And so I think that with that being said, and our current support and network, you know, it really is, I think, impeccable to where we're trying to go. Did you yourself, prior to founding the Confess Project, did you find it therapeutic when you went to the barber and that kind of helped you move in this direction? Yeah. So growing up in my aunt's beauty salon, there was about three stylists and one barber there. And I just remember the interaction and the powerful connections that were made there in the barbershop with clients, with community members, but also even with myself. I can remember my first barber being someone who gave me support and accountability. I would sit in the chair after school and get a shape up, but also to feel that I was cared for, loved and given the world behind having that factor of trust and connection. And I just want someone to feel what I felt as a child going into the barbershop and salon every day after school when I got out of school. And that it was the village, what we call it. There were even the customers that would come to the stylists and the barbers there. They were like distant family members. Make sure that you stay in school and ensuring that you can be someone who will be a good person and just someone that do well in life and in career. A role model. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I'm sure there are many of these, but perhaps can you share a real life example of how the Confess Project has directly impacted someone in a positive way? Yes. So the Confess Project has been able to impact many men and families. And just one in specific, we've been able to impact a gentleman that was wanted to take his life by suicide. Particularly, it was a barber in Tennessee and a client, and that barber had our training and was able to help support that client. But we've also seen on the other side, a barber from Philadelphia that went through a very similar approach. There was a client that sat in his chair and had been dealing, grappling with life circumstances and said that that haircut would be his last haircut. And that after he left the barbershop, that he wouldn't be around any longer. And that barber at that time hadn't had the training that we offered. And after the fact, he brought the story to our attention to know that if he had had that training, that he would have felt so much better off that, you know, he was so nervous and scared for his life because of his client's life and how he wanted to take his life. And so these are just things that we realize is super important. 
on both sides of that just impact to one knowing that if he had have had the support, how comfortable he would have been. But then the other side of it, we've seen it in real time with someone being able to provide that training, get that person to somebody that needed to help them and just feeling comfortable enough to even tell their barber that they're in that space. Because we realize that when individuals want to not live any longer, that it's just a loss of hope. And that just in the, we may identify it as a pain, but it's they want to be heard and they've wanted someone to listen. And so if we're able to stop suicide in that way, I think that's significant to the life impact of black Americans here in the United States. And so we're just glad that we can continue to, to be of that effort and support. Do you provide resources for the barber as well? Like the gentleman you mentioned in Philadelphia, right? That's a situation where he has a heavy burden that he has on his shoulders, even though it really had no direct impact to him personally or his own person, but it did to his client, right? And that's something that's obviously troubling to him. Do you provide resources for them as well to kind of unpack those kinds of conversations and events that they experience themselves? Yeah, absolutely. So the barbers are provided with a support call every month through our department. We provide them with a support call every month through our department of engagement where they're having classes around life skills and mental health education, fatherhood. These are just a few topics that are covered every month. So we provide a year round support for these barbers. And long term, we see it becoming an association. A coalition is what it actually is, but it become an association of barbers across the country. And uh, right now we're doing program retreats with the barbers every quarter, bringing barbers together. We work with our amazing partners over at Gillette and um, also over at Andes Clippers and different other partners that are looking to give our barbers, you know, whether that's financial literacy to giving them grooming and education to just giving them all around life skills and ways that they can navigate COVID-19 ways that they can navigate as a business owner. And so we're not only helping them from a mental health, we realize that mental health is a part of their physical and their emotional and spiritual well-being. And so we're providing that support every month because these barbers, are seeing over 100 clients a month, right? They're the ones that's taking in all of that person's day-to-day issues, right? After over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so we hope that those calls are a way to reset and to get perspective. And that's what we're hoping that long-term the, co- the coalition becomes a, a support association for barbers and just the well-being and, and health of themselves and for their communities that they're serving every day. That's great. I mean, you got to provide them resources for being so supportive of their clientele. So that's great to hear. Can you tell us a little bit about your model, the access, advocacy, innovation, and research model? Can you tell us a little bit about what that's all about? Absolutely. So that model is access to information, access to mental health services, access to community. We're committed to educating our individuals with the best research. We have over 60 years of plus experience on our team of expertise between our board members and council members and staff. We're committed to giving the top tier information and education as possible. And we're constantly in the space of innovation. The Confess Project was founded on an entrepreneurial aspect of innovation, social entrepreneurship. And so we are always looking at how do we take cutting edge research and very non-traditional responses and activity and applying that to everyday life that people, we know that can speak to the people that we're trying to reach. And so that's not saying that most traditional 
services are not seen in the best light, but we do understand that we constantly have to look at innovation in a way that's going to reach the next generation of young people, families. And because I think it's just a, a remarkable way of constantly learning your population because they're constantly changing, particularly now as we realize with the technology and some of the distance measures that are in place. So we're always thinking about how do we continually stay in the gap and continue to serve the people that we're here to work with. That's great. So I want to shift into a couple other things. So what has been your biggest challenge with regard to the Confess Project? What have you seen as your biggest challenge in the last six to 12 months? You know, obviously, I think for an organization that's uh, constantly wanting to the public knowing that how important it is that what we're doing. So I, I think some of it is ensuring that our funders and investors realize where we're trying to go. I think that what we do is really out of the box. So I, I absolutely believe we're ahead of our time. And so I think <laughs> the challenge in a lot of times is speaking to the right people that will understand what we do. And we realize that we're working in a black context and a black community. So everybody don't understand that the financial supporters, particularly that's a huge disconnect in this space. I mean, they've never just really had the life experiences. So I think, but it's, it's getting better slowly. I think also, you know, COVID-19 has made it truly difficult in ways of just allowing people that we work with to understand to to slow down a little bit, right? People are very frantic, anxious. Our barbers, the people that we serve are going through these different issues. Barbershops were shut down at the top of COVID-19. There's been a lot of tremendous job loss, you know, economic loss. So I think that we've done very well, I think, with walking the waters as muddy as they've been. But I think realizing that the world has really made a significant shift. So we're just really staying committed to what we do. And I think in the midst of that, also counting on what our challenges may be. But I think significantly, we've done really well training more barbers during the pandemic. We've done a very good job because mental health is so much at the forefront. I think that there's some definitely some pluses here where we should lift up and gratitude of we've come a long way than what we probably wouldn't have, you know, versus the pandemic not being here. So, yeah, well, what do they say? Wherever there's a challenge, there's an opportunity, right? Yeah. So you always got to look at the opportunities as, as much as the challenges for sure. So I will tell you this, because I, I know you just mentioned about getting the word out. I will tell you that I tell your story and the story of the Confess Project over and over to people. And when they hear it, it's like, wow. It's like mind blowing. They're like, it blows their mind that it's such a great idea and such a great way to educate and help people. They're just amazed. They're just amazed. I literally was away this weekend and told somebody about it and they were like blown away by the whole concept and surprised that the thought of it going, how you've taken the mental health approach to the people rather than having the people come out and seek that advice and guidance. And I just want to commend you and let you know that there are a lot of people behind you, rooting for you, following you and supporting you that think that this is a great idea and know that the impact you're having and are going to have is just going to continue to grow. So thank you for that. Absolutely. I received it. Thank you. <laughs> what has this journey taught you? What's your biggest takeaway since you started this work and what you're doing? My biggest takeaways have been, I've learned a lot about myself. 
I think I have been on a very bigger healing journey than what I probably was starting this. And I don't think I would have been able to engage that without doing this work. So I'm really grateful for that part. I'm a, um, a husband, a father, beyond a community leader in what I do. So I think that is the utmost <clears throat> important angle that I've been able to learn that it's been a lot of self-development that's taking place for myself. And I've also realized that something I've really learned is that if you don't take the chance and do what the unbelievable is, that no one will ever embrace you or it because it's never being done. And so I think that it's, it's important to take that risk and take that chance. I'm really glad that we took that chance five years ago and started going into barbershops when it was unheard of and talking about mental health and now making it a model that's reached 30 cities. And at the end of this year, we'll be reaching a million people by training a thousand barbers because they're reaching about a hundred people a month and bringing on people like Gillette and these different folks that's really believing in that vision as well. And so I think that we're really excited that I think those are the unthinkable, you know, we explored the unthinkable, the unimaginable and look what we got out of it. I think it's been a tremendous upscale and an uptick in the last five years and um really grateful that's opened up many other doors for myself becoming an author and helping a lot of different people in probably ways that i wouldn't have been able to do from working in the facilities that i worked in right i just wouldn't have been able to reach that amount of people and so just really glad that we took that chance that we used that innovation and that i also just learned a lot about myself i think in the process that absolutely helped me become just a better human and i think a just a great individual overall. That's a, a great takeaway. And the impact that you've had, I'm sure you only hear about a fraction of the actual impact. And I'm, I know that the impact is much greater than you'll probably ever know in truth and in reality. So we talked a lot about mental health, COVID-19, a lot of things going on recently and even in the past year or so. Being that you know in your curriculum, what are a few easy, actionable steps that people could take in order to help their own mental health? What's like two or three things that people could be doing on a regular basis to help themselves besides going to get a haircut and talking to their barber, of course? Yeah, I think a few actionable steps would be to really write down the things that they know about themselves, but then, you know, make a list of the things that they're still trying to figure out or things that they're uncertain about. And I think that by working with a coach or a therapist is a tremendous way to start to navigate those different uncertainties and unknown ideas and opportunities. I think another thing is embracing the things that you know may not be the best about you, but turning them into a positive. There is a absolute great way of turning things into a positive from the things that are. Uh, so perfect example, I was diagnosed with depression at the age of 28, but I've allowed that diagnosis to open up doors that probably wouldn't have been able to be open with the work that I do, obviously telling my story, becoming an author, inspiring other entrepreneurs and leaders, advocates to do the same because of the strength that I had. But what if I had of taken that as, oh, I've got depression and I'm not good enough. I could have had the victim mentality and I didn't. So that just embrace the things about you that may not sound or be the best, quote unquote, but there's a positive inside of that. Those are just a few things. And I think nevertheless is take time and be gentle with yourself, be gentle with others, and really work to be in gratitude. I think being in gratitude is by far one of the best opportunities that we can work towards that's going to help us get to the next stage of our journey. 
That's great. I think those are some great points and great advice. And I want to share with our listeners that you and I were introduced because you were the recipient of the Public Education Lifesaver Award at the AFSP, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention's Lifesaver Gala this past year. And as most of our listeners know, I sit on the national board for that organization, and it's something that's extremely important to me as someone who has lost a family member to suicide. Can you tell us a little bit about what that award and receiving that award meant to you? Really a highlight in my early career, rather. I say like to say early. I've been in this work now for 15 years at such an early age. I started when I was 21 working in a behavioral health facility. I'm still as young as gold as 33. And after five years of doing this outreach movement building work in the community, it was a really a very pinnacle moment to be recognized about American Foundation Suicide Prevention for an organization that's really built the cornerstones of suicide ideology in America and education and just an inspiring work of building leaders over decades. So I think for me, it was a, the more I go back to it and really think about it, it was, I think I should have been a lot more grateful for what I really was in the moment because it has been, I think time will do, time will spent in the field of helping families, communities in ways that I think that I can contribute to. And I think that's been a great joy. And so I like to say for anybody to never take it for granted, there was times those that decade or so working in the behavior health field. It was very challenging, but it was a very beautiful experience working with so many different people from different walks of life. And to know that has also come down to doing this community-based work in across communities across the country. It really motivates me to let anybody know to just keep going, even when it doesn't make sense. When I was 21 years old, I had just got out of my release of juvenile, and I went and worked in the juvenile system three years after my release as a security officer. And the next nine years led me to working in the mental health field. And here we go today. And so what if I hadn't have taken that chance after my release to going into a field and paying it forward back to a group of people that I was in the predicaments such as them years prior. I hope that nothing else that it can be a, a inspiration for anybody to keep pressing forward. So do you feel like the award validates all of your hard work up until this point? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a tremendous uptick and just really grateful for AFSP for seeing the, the best in me to want to be the one to receive that award. And if nothing else, it's, it's for the barbers, these families and men that we serve daily, that my staff, I have to really pay it for. They do the hard work just as much as I do every day, day in and day out, spending countless hours awesome. with these barbers. We're really pleased that we're continuing to be of benefit. Amazing. Awesome. So I got to ask you this, and you alluded to some of it. What are the next steps for Lorenzo Lewis and the Confess Project? What do you have coming up? What are yeah, the big audacious goals? Absolutely. Over the next three years, we are committed to building a leadership component that will allow our two key areas, which is Atlanta and LA right now, to branch into their own chapters, to their own entities. We also really look to training a total of 5,000 barbers by the end of the next three years. We're looking to continue to build more partnerships to continue to help people get into accessible mental health services as much as possible. We've recently been awarded a opportunity to work with Medicaid and the government through federal grants to continue to 
uplift our efficacy and our curriculum. And so we're looking to next years to come is making this a licensed curriculum that can be matriculated through the United States and hopefully internationally. So those are our goals long-term, the next three to five years that we look to achieve. And we're just excited to, to continue to walk that journey. So Sounds like great plans. And we'll be watching you and the Confess Project very, very closely. So Lorenzo, it's been a pleasure having you on. We end every show by asking each of our guests the same question. This is the Midland Money Mindset, so we got to ask this. And that is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? What I did today, I think, is that I woke up and really faced that no matter what the challenges were, that I will remain in gratitude. There was the intention with that which was very clear. And so I think by using that intention has allowed me to now have such a wonderful interview with you and here at Midland to share those stories of what we've talked about today. So I think that's the mindset that I'm in is that I'm using intention in a way that's really sparing the best behavior and characteristics that's possible in this moment to helping myself, my community and those around me. So yes. Fantastic. And Lorenzo, I am very grateful that you stuck with us through our challenges at the beginning of this to get this recording going. So I'm grateful for you sticking with it and uh, grateful that we're able to complete this and have you on the show. So I will tell you this, and I'm going to tell the listeners, we're going to have all of your contact information in the show notes. And I encourage all of our listeners to check out, follow, donate, Take a look at the Confess Project, see what they're doing, see if you can help support Lorenzo and the Confess Project. As everybody knows, mental health and initiatives like yours are very important to me, very important to the community and the world. And we appreciate you and the work that you're doing. And I want to say thank you again for being on the show and make it a great day. I want to thank Lorenzo Lewis for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Lorenzo has taken and used his own personal circumstances to help others that are facing similar issues within his community. His unique approach has had a tremendous impact on communities everywhere. It was a great honor seeing him win the Public Education Lifesaver Award at the 2021 AFSP Lifesavers Gala. It was well-deserved. I am so pleased I had the opportunity to spend this time with Lorenzo and learn about his great organization. I hope you will take a look and learn more too. Lorenzo and the Confess Project can be found across all social media platforms and all the contact information needed to find him and the organization can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. 
The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.